911, what's the nature of your emergency? Welcome back to another episode of the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton. Clint is out working today. It must be, he's on his 60th hour today. I feel so bad for him because he only had one day off. But I'm not home alone because I am sharing time and space with my really good friend, Mr. Brian K. Bishop. Brian, how are you? Just fine, thank you. Brian and I actually met online which sounds strange coming out of my mouth because I don't typically communicate so deeply with anyone that I meet online. But Brian and I have developed this friendship to where if you hear the two of us bantering back and forth, (laughs) it's just really turned into that kind of relationship. So Brian, I thank you for that. Thank you. And a little bit about Brian's background. He he has a, a history in law enforcement. And Brian, maybe you can take the listener through a little bit about your origin story and how that all began. Back in 1991, I turned 18 and I learned of a program for cadets with the uh, Warren County Sheriff's Office, where I'm from, which is about 30 minutes north of Cincinnati, Ohio. So I applied, went through an interview process of uh, two people interviewed me, and also had a background check and a reference check. I was hired in in approximately December of 91, was sworn in as an emergency police officer, which is a cadet, but in this area is considered to be a police officer, and only if I was with the deputy sheriff, that shared his or her power. I went through that process. Also, there was training in the jail. We were trained on the use of the shotgun, the OC spray, uh, handcuffing, tactical procedures, and anything that we were allowed to carry. The only thing we're not allowed to carry is a sidearm because you had to be 21. And this age group to be a cadet, you had to have interest in becoming in law enforcement, which I did, was between the age of 18 and 21. So, and after 21, you could go to the uh, academy um, in Ohio. So I know, oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, I know a lot of people that that maybe join the, we call it the Explorer program here, and they don't always follow through with deciding to make a career out of it. So what was that determining factor for you? I'd always wanted to be a police officer since I was probably 10 years old. It was probably after 84, I'm sorry, 83. We, uh, our detached garage from the house where we kept the lawn tractors and bicycles and dad's tools was burglarized. And it was a professional ring going around stealing John Deere tractors and they were targeting John Deere tractors. So um, I was just so fascinated by the way the police officers that were our local uh, police handled it and, you know, gave us their uh, fingerprinting equipment once they were done with it, just doing what they could to see if they could lift the fence off. So it just inspired me, like, you know, I want to get these guys someday. And they stole some childhood stuff of mine. One was a John Deere pedal tractor, which is, today would be worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a Honda 50 motorcycle was stolen, which Dad had just taken out an insurance policy, which covered everything about a couple of days before the burglary. Wow. It didn't cover, the, didn't cover the, the motorcycle because you had to have a special rider's policy. 
that was never replaced, but it was okay. I mean, it was fun while we had it. Um, so I just finally wanted to, just, it was my passion. I actually started out in the fire service as a firefighting cadet, but then I switched gears and um, really enjoyed just the fascination of helping people and the differences. So really, I knew what I wanted to do by age 10 and just developed it for uh, later on, I was old enough to uh, become a law enforcement. However, at 16, I did start writing with the police department. And at the same time, I was also in the fire service. I kind of had a dual role because my grandparent on my mom's side was on the first rescue squad in their hometown, which that time was the old, like a 1950-something milk truck <laughs> with a backboard and some Band-Aids. I mean, just basically, you just... <laughs> You loaded them up and you, and you took them to the, to the hospital, which is in Dayton, and their town was at least about 20-some miles from Dayton. So in those days, um, not like we have today with the air ambulance services and the you know, higher technology and fast pace, you just loaded them up and you went. And then the bigger cities, Dayton, Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, was where the hospitals were. Mm. But then on my grandfather, my dad's side, his grandfather was a security worker. So I had it dual, if not triple, because I was, I was a police officer, also a certified 911 dispatcher for two years, and then did the fire service on the uh, rehab auxiliary side. I was never a certified firefighter or EMP because I went police, I went the law enforcement route instead. So that really is <laughs> my background in a nutshell. So kind of advancing forward. By 1995, uh, excuse me, by 1993, the sheriff's office in a local part-time district, which is Hamilton Township, had a disagreement. So the police department and the board of trustees formed their own department. So by 95, I got sworn in and went to the police academy and then was certified. Hmm. Brian, how did your folks feel about you becoming a police officer? That's a good question. They were very concerned of the dangers, but they were always, always, always supportive. In fact, my ver- first bulletproof vest, my dad bought um, a lot heavier than the, the technology and the Kevlar is now. Um, but when I, I first read the first couple of times, the uh, deputy passed me on the back. He goes, where's your vest? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you need to get one. So I think at that time it was close to... Uh, I want to say $800, maybe, maybe a little less. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was expensive, but you can't put a price tag on your life. Right. So that's what my parents decided to do. So we've always been supporters. Uh, I was so thankful for that. Um, and back then, wasn't as bad as it is now. So, and even in the 60s and 70s, they didn't even have portable radios. And a lot of them didn't wear vests either. So only your worst ruthless person ever thought about shooting the cop, unlike today. So then when I got into it in the mid-80s as a kid, and then early 90s, growing up and being certified and old enough, it still wasn't as bad as it was today. So, Brian, can you take us a little bit through your journey that sets you from then until where you're at now? Well, I met um, my first wife. She was on the fire department, and that would have been 97. 
and we started to develop a uh, relationship and then end up in a marriage. And the weirdest thing is it would have made more sense if there was like this trust or a doctor involved, but there wasn't. It was more of her side, her family control, which kind of broke up the marriage. Hmm. In other words, mom was poisoning her of thing. And I probably started developing PTSD then, but didn't realize it. So that led to the demise of the marriage as well as uh, just deteriorating altogether. And then, so I kept on, and I was a full-time dispatcher, part-time cop, was very hard to get on full-time. The jobs just weren't there, the departments weren't organized or developed or had enough tax base to put on full-time monitors. It was a, it was a uh, learning process. And truthfully, when I was a part-time cop, and this is no lie, I made exactly five fifty an hour back then. And then as the levies came in and we started getting more officers full-time, the wages started to increase. Really? five fifty? Yeah. Yeah. So it was basically a little more than minimum wage at that time in the 90s. Wow. It was insane, but it was basically dedication. And uh, to keep your commission, as in most states, you have to keep active with the police department within a year or you'll have to repeat the entire academy in the process. Jeez. So that, that was, so a lot of, a lot of these small um, departments had officers working for like they call a dollar a year auxiliary just to keep your commission. And then as they found other departments full-time or, or part-time or even full-time, then they would leave. So... Then progressing, I kind of stepped out and went private for a while in the hospital sector and did that for a while. Then I met my second wife online and she was from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I made a few trips to visit. And, but there again, jumping ahead, it was another controlling mother-in-law type situation. After a while, we dated and got married. And then moved out to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania area, which is about an hour from Philadelphia. So I joined the college police department out there and had a lot of adventure um, in the college setting full time. And then went to the sheriff's office in 2009, where I retired from the entire law enforcement career. It was held like in private in 2015, which then I was officially diagnosed with PTS in 2015. So that's kind of like a fast track, skipping through a lot of the uh, areas in my life from that, from that timeline. Yeah. Yeah. And I know usually Brian is such an upbeat and hilarious person. I've never had somebody tease me and just make me laugh over the most random things. And I can definitely tell a difference in your demeanor right now. And I know it's because we're about to talk about some sensitive topics because we're having Brian come back on for another episode we're going to touch on PTSD and I, I'm really curious to know when, when you noticed those PTSD symptoms developing in that, in that, that first marriage of yours, Brian. So if that's okay, we'd love to talk about that when you come back on, on our next episode. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you for sharing a little bit about who you are and I will see you on the next one. Thank you very much for having me.